Hey everyone, welcome to the Torn ACL Recovery Podcast. My name is Chris Arnold, and this is a short series podcast that follows my personal journey from ACL injury back to full strength. In it, I discuss the ups, downs, and everything in between in the days, weeks, and months after surgery. Hopefully, this will help you in your own process to getting well after injury. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is month number nine, which is just really crazy to say, really crazy to think back to the journey that has led me here. Really appreciate it if you've stuck around or you've maybe found the podcast and have poked around at some different episodes. Um, As you know, typically the format is that I will sit around the microphone and kind of tell you about what's been going on in my rehab process that week or that month. This month, however, I'm going to switch it up a little bit and hopefully bring a little bit more of a value focus to the podcast through a professional. So on this episode, I'm going to be speaking with my certified strength and conditioning coach, Cody Makinich. Hopefully I got that last name right. We we practiced it a couple times. Um, He works out at Four Corners Sports Performance um, just outside of Denver, Colorado, here in the Rocky Mountains. What I really appreciate about Cody is that he has gone through an ACL reconstruction himself. So a few years back, he tore his right ACL, and later on, he had an LOA procedure about 14 months post-op. So all that to say, Cody really understands the rehab process around ACL surgeries and what comes with it in the months that follow. I figured that out right away when I met Cody, and after having worked with him now for five months, hands down, he's been a huge reason why my recovery has gone so well. So on this episode, we're going to be having a conversation about his approach, his process, and a little bit about his background as we jump right in. What I want to say right out of the gate, just so everyone's clear, Cody is not a physical therapist. He often works under the guidance of physical therapists and surgeons of his patients, but he's a certified strength and conditioning coach who has a great interest in ACL rehab cases, given that he has gone through one himself. So let's jump right into it. Here is Cody giving us a little background on his roots as a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, so grew up playing all the sports, uh, wrestling, hockey, football, baseball, all that. Um, Through high school, wrestled, played football. Um, Went off to college initially, started out playing playing a little bit of football, and then through some changes of events, actually ended up transferring schools. Um, wrestled my final years of college, um, never had any real serious injury history, um, through college, never missed any time or significant time anyways, due to some serious injuries and actually, you know, did a couple internships post-college, ended up getting hired on at a um, local facility that does a lot of sports performance, um, and physical therapy primarily, um, I was there for about, you know, I was only about nine months in and actually I was back coaching my former high school wrestling team and through like a super freak accident, um, ended up blowing my ACL out. I was just teaching one of the kids a move, got my foot stuck in the mat and he landed on it and funky. And I knew, I knew immediately, um, what had happened. Um, and then through that process, um, you know, rehabbed and kind of worked at my facility. So got a lot of experience, firsthand experience. Not only had I been working with some people going through the surgery before, but then actually going through it myself at the same time as a lot of people is really what kind of dove me into 
really diving in deep on these ACLs and getting them, finishing them the right way. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, kind of the intro, that is what really drew me to working with you because when I made that transition from the, we'll call it healthcare physical therapy, which is kind of the get you out of the door, get you kind of through the first couple months of physical therapy, hearing about um, the services that you offered and the bonus, um, what a terrible bonus it is, but that you had also torn your ACL, then you knew what I was going through, um, was a huge thing. And I think that's something that um, a lot of physical um, therapists, a lot of strength and conditioning coaches don't have that that touch point to what it actually must feel like for their patients. Um, so kind of looking at your strength and conditioning coaching specifically, tell us a little bit more about what you do now and kind of what are the types of athletes and clients that you work with? So working with a really broad spectrum of clientele, um, anywhere from like completely, completely healthy high school athletes, football players, all that kind of stuff to, you know, I've got, you know, we've got 60-year-old ladies with hip replacements or hip surgeries, shoulder surgeries, things like that, to, you know, your general weekend warriors who are just dealing with, you know, whether it be, you know, your knee, back, shoulder pain. I'm getting them strong, too. People like you um, is probably a good niche of what I do is a lot of time it's not necessarily right out of the gate, but people who get to that four or five-month mark out of an ACL, they've got knee pain, they don't feel like they're 100%, but physical therapy, they, you know, their insurance won't cover any more physical therapy benefits. Um, and, you know, a lot of times you'll go to your surgeon and you'll be at that six-month mark and you'll be in your surgeon's office for 10 minutes. They'll, you know, you'll wait. Either the PA or the surgeon will come see you. And, and this is this was my big experience with it. And surgeon comes in, looks at your knee, um, says you're good to go. And kind of gives you some brief guidelines, and then kind of sends you on your way. Yeah. Um, and but then in your mind, you don't necessarily you don't feel like you're a hundred percent. You don't right. feel like you're perfectly cleared to go back to whatever whatever it is you may yeah. want to go do. And I think that's the kind of the apex of of what this podcast is about. Is we've we've talked about this. We've both had really similar experiences where whether it's the three or four month checkup or the six month see you later checkup with the mm-hmm. surgeon. It seems like at both instances, the surgeon or the PA kind of looks at you, they do some basic tests. Can you, you know, can you stand on one leg? Are you getting some of your quad strength back? Okay, you're good to go, have a nice life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we both realized, and, and obviously this has become a big part of your life at a professional level is, it's just not enough. And it's, and it's, and it's really not enough. And I think that's the, the scary part that I realized is um, after three months and after my insurance ran out on getting physical therapy, I knew that um, as an athlete, I wasn't anywhere close to where I needed to be to get back to the basketball court or get back cycling or get back, you know, even like roughhousing with friends or, and, you know, throwing a football around. I, I, I wasn't going to go out and cut on a baseball field because I hadn't had no sense of where my knee was in space. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to get into is, is thinking about that time frame. So for listeners, you know, um, I think a lot of listeners probably come from, from Reddit. Um, there's a huge Reddit community on ACLs and ACL surgeries. Um, if you're listening and you're just coming from 
um, your own Google searches and you happen to, to find the podcast, that's amazing too. But for this one, I want to kind of focus on me now being at about nine months, um, that whole period between three and four months to now um, is obviously really where you shine, Cody. And, and so talk to us about your approach to rehab. And I know the term progressions comes up a lot, but from a high level, what does that look like for your programming? Well, I think the biggest thing is making sure that anybody's rehab process is super personalized and individualized. Um, the way I like to look at rehab is oftentimes like, you know, when you're when you're with your physical therapist um, straight out of the gate, post-surgery, a surgeon, all, different surgeons have different um, protocols based on, you know, at, at six weeks you can do this or even super early on, you know, we're not going to unlock your brace until you're two weeks out or we're going to get you off crushes at one week or two weeks. That stuff is very variable dependent on the surgeon. Um, but I also think a lot of times people are told, you know, of course you want to know when you're going to be back you know, back ready, doing whatever you want to do. So you'll ask your surgeon, when am, when am I going to be ready? And a lot of times the surgeon will tell you six months. And people get that stuck in their heads. And so when they approach that four, five, six-month mark, they don't feel like they're ready to go back to sport or whatever, whatever it is they want to do. And it becomes a much more, oftentimes I think I see it's a much more timeline-based rehab versus a milestone-based rehab is... I guess, simply put, how I like to rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, progressions are huge. If you can't if you can't do, you know, a single leg squat down to a box with any eccentric quad control, why am I going to put you under a load? Or why am I going to make you do it dynamically with a jump or something like that? So making sure that you have milestones set in place before you progress people. And I think that's a lot of time, that's, that plays huge to the mental aspect of things because you really have to take the small wins in rehab like I remember the first time I got to stretch my hamstring after Mm. my hamstring graft like that was that was huge for me that was a super big relief for like the first time you get to run that's a huge milestone in your rehab the first time you're doing any jumping or any lateral motion or things like that those are huge wins because at the end of the day even once your knee the integrity of your knee is good that final step of rehab is that mental approach, making sure that you have the confidence to go back and do it is what you want to do, whether yeah. it be skiing, biking, especially here in Colorado. I mean, literally everybody's active. You're hiking, you're biking, mountain biking, skiing, playing all the rec sports, whatever it may be. So you have to have confidence that you can go back to that yeah. unhindered um, through well, your rehab process. Yeah, I, confidence is a huge thing. And, and again, we've been working together now a few months and. So we've had a few conversations around confidence and progressions and everything like that. But confidence seems to be a major component to rehabbing an ACL. And what I personally have seen are a lot of a lot of folks, men and women, that are tackling the ACL reconstruction. They come out of it. They feel, you know, it sucks, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's nothing fun yeah, about the no, ACL reconstruction process. But... You know, there's, you know, it sucks at first, and then there's like this, this kind of initial inertia boost of confidence. Like, I've got this, I'm gonna do it. A couple months in, you know, things are going well with the physical therapist, and then you kind of hit a wall and you realize, whoa, this is a lot harder and a lot, you know, longer of a process than I imagined. Um, and confidence can become a big problem. Confidence can waver, confidence can go from 100 to zero really quickly. Um, 
what advice might you have to patients kind of getting out of that initial phase and they're kind of looking around, scratching their head, you know, kind of asking, what now? Like, what do I do? I don't feel, like you said, my knee is sore. I don't feel like I can fully do the things I want to do anymore. Um, what advice would you provide to, to someone um, to even begin? Like, where do they start? I think the big thing is realizing that any rehab is not linear. And that's, I think, the big problem I have with protocols is any protocol, no matter what surgery it is or rehab process, they might say at this at this specific timeline, you can start doing these types of things. And I think when people get it in their head that say, for example, at 12 weeks that you get to run, um, you know, before that mark, I don't have a ton of involvement with people. So having gone through it in my head, I'm like, heck yeah, I want to run at 12 weeks. Like that's an exciting thing. Um, and then when you get to that point, a lot of, you know, a lot of the in a lot of facilities and stuff, the therapist will do like a strength test on you to make sure that you're good to run, whether that be like your involved leg versus your non-involved leg, your quad strength is at like 75% is commonly what's used to let you to run. Well, what if you do your strength test at 12 weeks and you atrociously fail that thing and you're at like 40%? Mm. Well, that's a confidence, that's a knockdown on your confidence. Mm -hmm. So I think really accepting that it's not going to be a linear a linear process everybody's going to have setbacks at different points in time very very rarely do you see these acls that you're like oh yeah that that rehab was a breeze that's not oftentimes mm -hmm. um what happens uh so you have to realize that you got to take the wins when you get them and then when you do when you do kind of feel low on yourself and like it's not progressing keep your nose to the grindstone and eventually you'll hit a breakthrough. I mean, I think we talked about that with your hamstring, for example, mm -hmm. like it's super frustrating at first when you can't even activate your hamstring past, you know, a very small range of motion. Yeah. And then over time you're like, okay, that finally clicked. And now right. we can gradually, and we're still working on that stuff, but mm -hmm. eventually it's, it clicks. Um, and nobody happens on the same timeline. So People need to stop comparing themselves to other people's rehabs, and especially like professional athletes. The biggest, I think that's one of my big pet peeves when I'm seeing people is they're like, you know, well, Adrian Peterson came back at six months, and or, you know, Percy Harvin was doing hill sprints at 14 weeks. Well, yeah, those guys, their new job is to rehab. Right. They have way more resources than you do. Yeah. You know, you might you might be going to see a physical therapist two, maybe three days a week for one hour at a time those guys are rehabbing daily with right. all kinds of different specialists they have a whole team around them that's their that's their life yeah. so you can't compare yourself to other people's rehabs it has to be super individualized like what is the what is the next milestone that i need to hit um and so taking it baby steps like that versus saying oh i only have until six months and i have to be at this point no focus on your next milestone that you need to hit and take them one chunk at a time that theme was something that I talked about really early on in my podcast because when I was doing my own uh, research on the, the the process, the surgery, the rehab, my personality is one where I, I dive in deep and I need to know everything about it mm -hmm. so I can plan. I'm, I'm a planner. I'm a preparer. I'm a executor. And <clears throat> that was such a huge theme of these really flowery, YouTube videos where someone, you know, just had ACL surgery and then one week, one week later they were, you know, full extension, full flexion, walking around, acting like everything was great. And then I thought the irony was that 
after those first two videos, there were no more videos. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, well, what happened at week three to month five? You know, that was just non-existent. Or yeah. on that other end of the spectrum, you have these professional athletes, the Adrian Peterson story where it's full speed MVP level back at six six months or um, who was it with the New York Knicks? Porzingis yeah. towards ACL. He started to do a documentary series on YouTube as well where it followed him around for the first few months. And But like you said, he has a full team. You know, He has like a, sh- a personal chef. He has the personal masseuse. He has a couple physical therapists and trainers. And, that a, are stre- with, and a strength coach. And yes. a strength coach. And they're just working on him all day long. So like you said, his job becomes nine to five working out massages working out rehab massages nutrition nutrition everything and i think uh, to some degree we just live in a culture where we look to the tv or we look to um celebrity and think oh well i must have to i must live up to that that must be what it's like and i think part of this podcast series has all along been well no let's uncover the the realities behind what rehab actually means and, and kind of what are the road bumps you actually um, have to encounter and get past. Um, which brings me to my next point, which takes us back a few months to when I first came to see you. And um, one of the biggest things that we noticed was the leg strength, the, the left leg strength versus the reconstructed leg strength was yeah. um, nowhere really near in the same ballpark. And mm-hmm. while my, um, initial physical therapy was sort of pushing me towards the the, uh, the dual leg kind of yeah. squats, front squats exercises. You really pulled me back and said, hang on a second, let's look at the basics here. Why did you do that? What What is the importance of of not kind of rushing into the squatting and, and the kind of dual leg activities? Well, I think the ability that I have as a strength coach is, again, like I'm not a physical therapist, so I don't have much involvement with people for the most part, up until they get to that more dynamic phase where they're getting ready to run, where they're they're doing all of that type of stuff. So my focus as a strength coach is on movement quality. So if you're coming, in, like at your in your case, you came to me around what, like four, four-ish? Yeah, about four, four and a half months. Four-ish months out and obviously like referred from another clinic with somebody that I used, you know, from somebody that I used to work with. So good connections there. So good line of communication on what you had been doing before that. And I think the the advantage I have is I can detach. I don't have to deal with insurance or anything like that. So a lot of times I do, th- and I'm not speaking for all therapists, but I think a lot of times therapists, they look at, they know, like they're looking ahead, they know that you're going to get cut off at some point. So they really, they're, they have your best interests in mind. They're trying to get you you know, get you to a certain point where they feel like they can set you up for success because they won't get to see you much anymore, maybe once every couple months or something. So they want to at least look at everything so they can send you on your way knowing that they've been through all that stuff with you. The advantage that I have as like a strength and conditioning coach is I can completely wipe the slate clean. Like I'm not, you can come to me and say like, oh yeah, I've been doing this, this, and this. I still have to see it, you know. Mm-hmm. I have to look at that movement. What does it look like? Or even if it's somebody who's coming back playing sports. I have worked with plenty of athletes who are a year and a half out on an ACL and they still come in and look. And we had the same results. We, do, we break them out unilaterally and do a single leg, you know, rear foot elevated split squat test or something like right. that. And it's not even in the same ballpark. Yeah, and that's just a, yeah, and that's just a nightmare waiting to happen and often what comes with that is a lot of pain like you had some of that 
you get a lot of that anterior knee pain, um, things like that. So I think that's something that we need to alarm, we need to address, because there's no sense pouring gasoline on a fire. Like just because you're at four months out means you have to be squatting all squatting this much weight or you know squatting this amount of times. It doesn't work like that, and that that just doesn't that mindset never made sense to me because. Until you address the underlying issue, pain is always going to change how you move. If your knee hurts when, you, when you're walking around, it's going to hurt when you squat. It's going to hurt when you lunge. It's going to hurt when you start running and things like that. And I think the biggest thing that a lot of people just accept that. They think, I mean, I, I could say we all probably know somebody who's had an ACL in the past or had some sort of knee surgery in the past and maybe hit that point that you were at and thought that this is just how it's going to be. Like, yeah, I got a surgery on my knee and it's gonna hurt like this. I'll just be in pain forever. Yeah, it's gonna hurt like this forever. And I think it's, you know, they just haven't, they just don't have, have never been exposed to alternatives and it's nobody's necessarily fault. It's just my goal to get people to a point and realize that, you know, if you have certain goals to get back to, there's certain parameters that you have to meet. You have to, you have to test your body. You have to stress your body in those situations your body's never going to adapt to it. You can't expect yourself to, you know, never do anything dynamic, never jump, never learn how to land, never learn how to cut, and then all of a sudden go see a surgeon at six months or nine months, and they say, yeah, go back to soccer, go back to play soccer. Mm-hmm. You you have no mental confidence that you can go do those things, and you don't have the strength or the, you know, the ability to cut change direction like that that's you know that's just a recipe for disaster in my opinion so let let's wrap our heads around that theme of i I hesitate to say progressions because it's not really progressions but what really opened my eyes in this process starting to work with you is when the first day we came in and we started working together we did that single leg what was the the test called uh for that one i do um a rear foot elevated split squat so just uh, your back foot, it's like a lunge, but your back foot is actually, and I do it with a band. So your back foot is supported. Um, a lot of people do it on a bench or a box. I do it on a band where um, you can't really use your back leg for support because if you push back in that back leg, that band just collapses. So mm-hmm. it's a pseudo, um, it's a pseudo single leg strength test. A lot of like, you know, facilities with a lot more resources, like the first facility that I started at uses a lot of the Kaiser equipment where it's a squat machine. Um, I throw, I, I just like, I think that rear foot elevated squat is very functional. And with the resources that I have, I think that's just the best that I have available yeah. to me. And I think it does give me a general idea. Yeah. I don't need anything exact because again, we're not, I just need to know, is that involved leg behind ahead where like where, where does that involved leg mm-hmm. sit compared to your non-involved leg and in my case it was very much not ahead it was behind and I, and for me you know having done the quote-unquote rehab for four months or so at that point i was i was shocked because i was already back on the bicycle i had been doing a lot of rehab in my own ways but i hadn't i had not spent so much time focusing on the single leg strength building and yeah. really forcing my myself to to stand on one leg or do exercises with one leg. And I think from my perception of other protocols, that is is really heavily underutilized and a cause for probably a lot of re-injury down the line when you're rushed right into the, the dual leg workouts and you're no longer really focusing on building strength uh, or conditioning the, the one leg that was involved. 
And so I want to wrap my head around, um, I don't know if it's a process or a progression, but when I think back to the last few months, I think about, you know, we started with single leg work. We moved into, once the strength was there, we moved into using both legs for some exercises. We moved into um, uh, movements that were kind of not, not super cutting in nature, but they got me off of uh, at least one foot at a time. Mm-hmm. And then we started to transition into more um, uh, different movement patterns, more cutting patterns. Can you kind of talk us through what, what is that progression or what are those patterns over time for ACL injuries that have worked well for your programming? And obviously they've worked well um, for me too, because I can attest to that. So I think first and foremost is, like I said, getting that movement quality down and that strength because any any differences that you have early on when you're doing simple movements are just going to be exposed even more when you get into some more complex movements. If you can't do something slow properly, by no means is it going to look good when you do it fast. If you can't do something, if you can't do something well with your body weight or with a very lightweight, it's not going to look good when you put a barbell on your back or when you, you know, so again, assessing that quality of movement, I think is huge. And in terms of walking people through that, especially like when you came in, it's for me, it's picking the lowest hanging fruit and really addressing that, like knocking one thing out at a time. You came in, that quad strength was a big deficit. So we needed to, and you had some of that anterior knee pain. In my opinion, that was the lowest hanging fruit and the most important thing to address early on. So a lot of times people get frustrated early on because they think they're getting regressed. You know, they're like, well, I've been doing this, this, and this. I've been running. I've been doing all this. I'm like, yeah, but it does it hurt when you mm-hmm. do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's go back. It's not going to get better by just doing it more, not necessarily. If you're, you know, if you're just repeating, if you're repeating a bad pattern, it's never going to get better by just doing it more. So we need to go back to the root cause of it. And I think a lot of it in your case was strength. So we go back, we started with some of those isometrics where you're just holding, you're getting in that good position, loading that quad and we're holding it. Then eventually we started adding some weight to that. And then we added a longer duration to build that volume up. And then eventually that, you know, we started to get into more tempo work. So working on that eccentric strength. Yeah. Um, and right now we're all in what we call the sagittal plane. So just forward and backwards. Um, and then as you get into like some of the running, that's where we go. We, we work on that running, just forward, straight line running. And during that time, we're continuing to build that single leg strength, working into some of that double leg, like heavier lifting, things like that. And then we start adding in, that's when we start adding in like change of direction things or plyometrics because running is a plyometric. Mm-hmm. You're con- it's a small plyometric every single time. You're consistently having, it's a stretch shortening cycle. You got to absorb force reproduce force every single time that's how you propel yourself Mm -hmm. so you have to have that elastic strength too and learn to absorb those loads and then reproduce those forces so initially we start simple just staying in the in that in that plane forward and backwards in that sagittal plane well then as you start to get more dynamic in that sagittal plane and i know all sports are played in multiple planes of motion um daily life doesn't just happen forward and backwards so we have to start getting into some of that lateral movement some of that rotational movement so that's when we'll start getting into some of that lateral strength. So you can probably remember all those, that frontal plane strength. So a lot of those lateral lunges mm-hmm. um, with the sliders, things like that, that is preparing your body. You know, that's, that's doing a slow, 
slow and controlled motion for what we would do if we were going to do like a lateral shuffle. So then after we get all of those things knocked out, now we start moving into some frontal plane dynamic stuff. We do those side shuffle progressions. We do some of those um, reactive side shuffles. And then this whole time we're progressing into some single leg landing, single leg jumping where you're learning to absorb those forces on one leg now. Now we, now we got to make sure you can do it both side to side. And then that last kind of component, you add that front or that um, transverse plane. We're adding some rotation to it. That could be, you know, rotational jumps. That could be rotational step ups. That can be some of those crossover steps that we work on. And this is when you're getting into your really high level, whether it be like field sports, court sports, all of that. You're kind of addressing all of those motions that happen on the court or on the field. Um, and then, you know, intermittently in there when something breaks down, sometimes you have to spend a lot more time on certain things. Again, that's not a, it's not just a linear progression. We might be cruising through some sagittal plane stuff, and the second I put you in some frontal plane stuff, your body's like, what the heck are you doing to me? Yeah. It's kind of like some of those lateral jumps that you were talking about. You've showed some of those people at your gym what you've been working on, and you, they try to do it, and they aren't even coming off of a knee injury, yeah. and they can't. And a lot of times, I think that exposes some underlying stuff that might be how some people tear in the first place. Cause I think an article I recently just read said that more than two thirds of ACLs are non-contact injuries. Yeah. And for the most part, in my opinion, non-contact injuries can be prevented with proper technique, with pro- proper training or proper strength, whatever position it may be in. So circling back to the, the confidence piece, um, Let's say someone just listened to that and they are just completely overwhelmed. They're, yeah. they're, they're so like sagittal what, front plane what, and and for me, I, I love that stuff and I might not have the vocabulary to speak eloquently on it, but I love learning about it and, I, and I've really enjoyed going through the progression of that over the last handful of months because 100% it's made a huge difference. But let's say you know, we have a listener that's two months in or four months in or five months in and they're just overwhelmed. Where, where does where does someone even start? Like, What would your recommendation be to someone who you meet at a grocery store and they you happen to strike up a conversation in the checkout line and they tell you they're four months into an ACL uh, surgery? Like, Where do they go from there? I think number one, first and foremost, is like one of my favorite quotes is, you can't go wrong getting strong. My guess is if a lot of people are having those confidence problems at that, around that point in time, um, that it typically can be traced back initially to a lack of strength. Um, And that could be unilateral strength. That could be, I mean, a lot of times it can be when you are in some pain, that changes movement patterns. So if you don't address those things, your body's just naturally every day in a compensation pattern. So sometimes you might even see people, you know, their other knee or their other hip is bugging them because they're limping on their ACL knee and now their low back and their hip on one side hurt. When So people try to address that when in reality we haven't addressed that underlying issue. So I guess, you know, long-winded answer, I'd say you can't go wrong getting strong. My first, my first guess would be that um, strength is probably the thing that's lacking. Mm. Um, because before, before you ever go into something dynamic, I think you have to have the strength to absorb those forces doing something dynamically so if you don't have that strength i can't confidently make you 
you know, let you go do something dynamically. And that goes for any of my athletes that I train that don't even have a knee injury. You know, if you, if you can't do a single leg squat, I'm not going to have you do a single leg jump because that's just added forces and added, you know, does that again, like I said, it's kind of a disaster waiting to happen. Sure. And, and so thinking about mistakes that you see in, in the clients that you have, or, you know, un- unfortunate repeat clients that have to come back. What are the biggest, we, we used the term low hanging fruit earlier, but what are those biggest mistakes that you see with people that have had an ACL injury? Um, they get surgery or maybe they don't get surgery. Like what are, what are the kind of the, the key ones that you see quite often? Uh, I would say, I think it goes back to most of them can be traced back to that timeline based, that time based rehab protocol versus milestones people have you know like i said whether it be if you know if a, if a therapist by chance knows that you only have six more visits before insurance is going to completely cut you off and you've already said you can't afford the cash rate there or whatever they know that that sixth time that they see you is the last time that they're going to see you so oftentimes maybe they rush you into some stuff that you weren't ready for or a lot of times maybe they throw you a bone. So if we talk about like a strength test and we say you have to be 75% strength on your involved leg versus your non-involved leg before you run. Well, again, we talk about that confidence factor. You don't want to just continuously shoot people down. So sometimes I think the mistake I see made is you'll throw somebody a bone and be like, uh, yeah, we'll let you run today. And I think that's a mistake because then you're almost like giving people a false confidence because inevitably now they think they can run. Well, if we don't address those patterns or that strength deficit, nothing that we do progressing from there, getting into faster running, sprinting, deceleration, changing point, changing direction, none of that's going to look good Mm. until. So I think making sure, again, setting the the standard of like, this is going to be milestone based. When people ask you the question early on, when am I going to be able to do this? When am I going to be able to do that? Again, this isn't where I come in. And so I think this is what makes it a little bit difficult is the therapist gets you get people early on. And I think it's on the therapist to really establish that timeline. You know, someone say, when can I run instead of my surgeon said I could run at three months? Well, mm-hmm. instead of telling them, yeah, you can run at three months. Mm-hmm. Is there like you're naive if you think that people aren't counting down the days to when they can run? Mm-hmm. Making sure that be like you can run when you can do this single leg squat test at 75 yeah. percent versus saying, yeah, 12 weeks or 14 weeks, whatever it is, you can run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think establishing those boundaries or shouldn't even say boundaries, but establishing those guidelines early on. Um, just to know where you stand because you never want to have to backtrack and say, well, yeah, we said 12 weeks, but this and this happened. Yeah. I think that kind of limits buy-in from people. And when you can say from the beginning, they know what their goal is. And now their mindset is on attacking that goal versus just lollygagging through a 12-week rehab to get to that certain point. Yeah. Or, you know, now their knee feels good at five months, but they have they haven't tried any cutting or anything like that. And then they go see the surgeon at six months and says, okay, go ahead. Yeah. That's go, really go good advice. That's really good advice because uh, you know, my, my touch points with the ACL world is, is, has been initial physical therapy. It has been 
coming in and working with you as a strength and conditioning coach it has been articles and and um, debriefs for lack of a better word I've seen online and then like I said there's this huge reddit community out there that I happened to stumble upon really early on um, and there are countless questions and stories and uncertainties as far as when am I going to get back it's that timeline versus milestone stuff so I think hearing that firsthand from a professional is, is, is a really important nugget that people need to take away. Um, one other thing I want to touch on before we start to wrap up is, um, like I said, people may hear this podcast. They may say, you know, Hey, Cody has a lot of good stuff to say, but man, like I, I can't afford that. Or I don't have the time to do that. Or, you know, there's going to be all of these, um, reasons and, and, and things that pop up into people's heads that are going to, that are going to prevent them from, getting past that point where they're sore forever or they're hurting or they never got back certain mobility. Um, what would be your recommendation um, to counter that uh, perhaps natural tendency to say, "Ugh, you know, I can't even get started. Like that's just too much or too much money or too much time. Um, how would you respond to that? I think for me, very bluntly put is you can't really put a price on like your well-being. If being that active and, being able to do the things that you want to do is that important to you I think you really need to strongly consider making an investment in that and getting you to a point and I think the big thing that we run into is like you said you get a lot of these athletes and or people who they're they've got it fixed in their head that they're back at six months well they hit that six month mark and whether it be at a facility um, that has therapists and um, strength coaches or if it's a therapist and they might tell you well yeah you're six months out but you're not ready to go yet you can't keep them out of things but oftentimes they want to go do it anyways and unfortunately sometimes they go do it and the results are no good so my advice would be i think you really need to weigh the timeline like would it be is it much more worth you missing a couple of these tournaments or missing that one marathon that you wanted to run or that one cycle or that one long bike ride that you wanted to do to take the extra one, two, three months to get you to a point where you're ready to go versus if you do your ACL again, you're automatically on a way longer timeline than your initial timeline. So it's really more of a investment in preventing it happening again because I can, I mean, it's so unfortunate to see people do it a second and a third time because then it automatically lengthens that recovery um and i think that's one thing that was more of just a perfect storm of where i was fortunate enough to start start out at is we did have strength coaches and we did have some very good therapists that were that were clear about that kind of stuff because looking back on it had i not known what i known and been in a place of work where i was where there were therapists that can work on my knee and we can talk about timelines and then I have the knowledge of those high level progressions. So once those therapists got me to a certain point where like, I mean, to be honest, I didn't go to my three month, I didn't go to my six month um, surgical checkup because I knew, I knew what was going to happen there. It was more of me getting that confidence back to, Hey, do I feel like I can go get back out on a wrestling mat? Do I feel like I can go play golf? Do I feel like I can like, you know, get in the weight room and hit the weights that I normally do. 
or do I want to just like go back and you know tear my ACL do playing in the rec flag football sure flag yeah. football league that I do yeah. so I think it was a perfect storm for me that I think a lot of people don't get um i was fortunate enough to be surrounded by a bunch of people at the beginning that kind of established those clear timelines and really established that mindset in people like what is nine months of your life right now versus doing it a second time and then if you talk about grand total rehab time you're talking you know year and a half plus yeah, of total rehab long, time, long, long time for me that math is simple but i do think a lot of people struggle with that sure um and me having gone through it I think I can have a lot more appreciation for never wanting to do it again. Well, I'm glad you mentioned a sport like golf or just a casual thing because I, I feel like it's easy to sort of wrap this conversation around the idea that this is really intense sports performance, you know, sports-specific recovery. And to some degree it, it is, but it's not really. I mean, you know, I'm in my mid-30s and... I just want to get back to my whatever my peak is at CrossFit or at cycling or mm-hmm. at being able to go on a long backpacking, hiking type of trip. Yeah. And for other people, it may be golf. For other people, it may be just getting back to whatever casual activities they want to do. But the the sort of important key themes are still the same. It's not not avoiding it, not ignoring it, and considering to invest in getting back to where you know you need to be in the first place yeah that's where you know i think not i'm not going to make everybody do single leg jumping if that's not something that you're looking to get back to doing that's not that's not what we're going to do if you want to be able to go play basketball things like that yeah we're going to do we're going to make sure you can land on one leg we're going to make sure you can land by getting some contact in the air while going up for a rebound things like that we're going to test those things and i mean even so something like golf little anecdote for me i remember i was i'm i love to play golf in the summers i was going on that like five month five month mark and one of the therapists over at my old job that i was working with i was consistently saying like when can i go hit a bucket of balls like when can i go play golf and they were saying at 20 weeks i'll let you go you know but when you go you're not getting any further than your wedges you're gonna hit a small bucket of balls with your wedges and i was like yeah okay I was feeling good, and I went out to the golf course, and not only did I hit a large bucket of balls, I played 18 holes, and I literally could not walk for, like, six days. I was in so much pain, and I think, you know, even something like, you think about, like, per se, a low-impact sport like golf, you got, if you, you know, and this is getting really sciencey, but if you look at the torque forces on your knee when you're in a golf swing, they're greater than any other sport, so that's a lot of things that sometimes people might not think about but yeah if you have if you have an ACL and it's on your front leg and on your front stance leg when you're playing golf you need to learn to absorb those rotational forces we need to get everything else strong so that torque isn't going through your knee Mm. um so I think again that's where it comes back to being individualized we can't I'm not going to bring some somebody in who you know who just wants to be able to be a weekend warrior hike walk around you know nothing dynamic well yeah we're just going to get strong and make sure that you know we alleviate that pain um versus you know but if you're a skier and you're a hardcore skier like a lot of people out here are which you see a ton of acls from Mm -hmm. the sport of skiing uh, too many to be quite honest um but yeah you're going to jump we're going to learn to like we talked about today during the workout you're going to learn to 
absorb forces unevenly. Like you're going to be more on your left leg. You're going to be more on your right leg in some of these jumps. We're going to add some unpredictability to it just to make sure that your body can handle that stress so you have the confidence going back yeah. on the mountain, for example. Cody, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, to me, it's been a huge help. And just to reiterate to listeners, the work that Cody's done with me has been a, a huge shift for for my confidence and my outlook on my own recovery process um, and it really brought tangible goals and, and sort of brought those tangible goals to those milestones that cody has been referring to during the podcast um, you know i guess before we go cody do you have any just sort of recommendations or words of wisdom for anyone going through the the acl reconstruction uh process that journey um, like I said earlier, I think just keep your nose to the grindstone. Don't let yourself, you know, if you're if you're in a spot where you feel stuck, don't be scared to ask questions, um, whether that be to your surgeon, whether that be to your therapist, um, or even if, if you're working with a trainer or something like that, ask those questions. Be super explicit in your communication with what you're feeling. Um, that's where it becomes super individualized. And I think, you know, oftentimes if you know, if you need to make a change or if you need, if you're out of, if you're kind of in limbo right now, you're just out of therapy and you're looking for a trainer and you're looking for somebody like that, ask those questions. Like what kind of experience do they have with that? Make sure that they can accommodate your goals um, and they're not going to fit you in their box. Make sure that your goals are the number one priority and your well-being on your knee in particular is the number one thing that they're addressing. Um but again, do do your research. Ask your questions. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot more out there than a lot of people think. Um, so be diligent in your research and ask. You know, ask important questions. Don't be scared to ask questions to your practitioner, yeah. whether it be surgeon, strength coach, or or your physical therapist. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And and speaking to research, we, we're going to have uh, um, some information that you can download on the website uh, that Cody's put together, and he's going to provide for everyone out there if you're interested. Um, take a look at the website for this episode page um, to get that, download that information. Um, Cody, once again, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me.